What's up, Hair Gamer? I'm Eric Taylor. This episode is my first conversation with Tabitha Coffee, one of the brightest lights in our industry and somebody who requires no introduction. Immediately following our conversation, we're including a bonus segment where I sit down with the founder of an amazing charity called Hair Aid. It's extremely interesting what they're doing, so don't get all impatient and turn off the podcast. Before we get to Tabitha, I'm going to do our weekly Podloot giveaway. This week, we're giving away another LED ring light with tripod, the big one, the 18-incher, the one that most people at Salon Republic use. So you can probably hear the names moving around in the bag. I've got a name in my hand, and the winner is Danelle Hayden Hare. Danelle Hayden Hare. Hope I hope I say your name right. If I don't, I apologize. You are the winner of the 18-inch LED ring light. So when you hear this, DM me on Salon Republic or Love Eric Taylor on Instagram with your mailing address and I'll send it to you. You have to be listening to win. At the end of this episode, I'm going to tell you what we're giving away next week and how you can win that. Enjoy this episode. I'm sitting here with Tabitha Coffee. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'm going to give a little intro for you for the audience. You're a hairdresser. You're a former salon owner. You're a TV personality. I believe you started on Sheer Genius as a contestant, is that correct? Correct. Okay, and then you got your own show, Tabitha Takes Over. Tabitha Salon Takeover, yes. Tabitha Salon Takeover, which changed its name. Is that then we correct? went to Tabitha Takes Over Tabitha because takes we expanded over. into other businesses. Ah, got it. Okay, both on Bravo. Mm-hmm. And then you have a new show called Relative Success mm-hmm. with Tabitha, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, also on Bravo. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm so glad I got all that right. You're also an educator and your Matrix Global Business Ambassador. Is that correct? Yes. That's amazing. Oh my God, no wonder I'm exhausted. (laughs) Fuck. Well, question (laughs) number one. Now I know I'm tired. (laughs) Question number one is how the hell do you do all that? Uh, Well, coffee helps, definitely. Caffeine is good. large quantities of coffee? No, I've cut back actually. So I, one a day, I try and keep it two a day at a max. Um, honestly, I really love what I do. I'm really lucky. I, I love this industry. It energizes me. I'm exhausted when I leave a hair show like we all are. We come and you have a great time and you're absolutely exhausted when you go home. Have a day to myself. Nice pajama days, I call it. Mm-hmm. Get back up and I'm back at it again. So I think that's the key. Were you always into hair? Did you ever do anything? Always. No. I started hairdressing when I was 14. Wow. So. Your yeah. family, were, were, you had some family members that were hairdressers. So my mum was a hairdresser okay. and my eldest brother was a hairdresser. Okay. I didn't know them to do that. There's a, there's a large age gap between my eldest brother and myself. So he had gone on to another career okay. um, and my mother had given up. So, I mean, she talked about being a hairdresser, but I never saw her practice. Although when I became a young hairdresser in Australia, my mother taught me how to finger wave and pin curl and, and do a lot of those things from her day because they're skills that I wanted to know how to do. So I guess it's in the blood. I just always, there's never a time that I can actually remember not either playing with my doll's hair or doing my doll's hair or I would make my sister-in-law sit there and I'd play with her hair and touch it and braid it and just always. Yeah, Amazing. Do you do hair now? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. How many days a week? Um, not 
not the way I used to because I don't own a salon anymore because I am so, I am so busy and, and my philosophy is and, and how I do things is I practice what I preach. So I couldn't run my business <coughs> the way it should be run and put the time into my staff, my clients and make a TV show and be on the road for Matrix and write books and do all of these kind of things. So something had to shift. I also love talking to hairdressers about business because I'm a great businesswoman and I like talking about it and I like having conversations about money and how you should get your worth and charge more and run your business and have great customer service. And because I am a hairdresser, I understand what it's like to be behind the chair and to have all of those pressures on you to run a business. So that's what I wanted to devote more of my time to. So in, sorry, in answer to your question, I maybe do clients, um, I have private clients that I do. I still do a lot of um, editorial and shoot work. So I just did a makeover for Rachel Ray. So last week I did three days of doing clients all day. That's awesome. All right, so you went right into the conflict almost. <clears throat> not a conflict for me, not a conflict for you, but a lot of hairdressers feel like it's a conflict between being a hairdresser and a being a business owner. person, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you become a good business person? Um, trial and error, as it is with everyone, Over I the believe. course of years. Of course, so it's trial and error. Um, my parents ran businesses, so my mother was a great role model for me because she was a really strong businesswoman and that's where the no take shit comes from, was from her that she was totally fine to stand up and tell people what her expectations were and that is kind of the role model I grew up with. And the rest you learn from your successes and your failures. It, it's a combination of both along the way. Customer service has always, um, and it could be inherent just in my DNA, it could be learnt from the way I grew up and modelling from my, my parents. Um, customer service to me is the be all and end all of everything. Nothing annoys me more. When I go out and I get bad customer service, it just does my head in and drives me crazy. Um, for my clients, it's always been about everything I can do to make the experience amazing for them, not just the end product of great hair and beautiful hair, but how they feel having that done, being pampered, being taken care of, forgetting all their problems, just really kind of coming into this little bubble of space for however long they're with me. And that's always kind of been the philosophy that I've had and how I've um, taught my staff to do that, what, how I've seen that has grown my business. Um, and what has kind of allowed me to work off that basic model and then all the other components come into it. So you've been all over the world, you've seen lots of salons obviously, whether they're on TV or in real life. What are the top three things that salons are doing wrong? Well, I'll go to customer service, you know, and sometimes it's the little things that we really forget. And they're the things that, you know, we're busy, we may not have a receptionist, we may not have someone there, we may um, know Or, or maybe know the, the receptionist client. is not trained well. Or maybe the, exactly, maybe the receptionist isn't trained well. So there can be little reasons for this, um, but we're sometimes not aware of them. And a client will walk in and they're not greeted straight away, or, or the salon is dirty, that's another pet peeve of mine. You know, your business 
is like inviting someone into your home. It says a lot, not just about how you run your business, it says a lot about you and the respect you have for your clients as well, you know, and, and how complacent are you and what are you doing? So customer service, aesthetics in the sense of, yes, having it clean, having it comfortable, making sure it looks like you're putting effort and caring into that business. Mm -hmm. I want to speak to that one really quickly. Sure. At Salon Republic, I often talk to our managers and our regional managers about having fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. Because Always. when you have a manager who's been there for four, five, six yeah. years, sometimes that smudge on the wall just becomes part of the landscape, yeah. right? And I imagine that's human nature and that's the case for lots of salon owners. So how can you encourage them to have fresh eyes? So I've written, I, I teach this when I do my classes, I've written about this in one of my books, is sometimes, and I know this is really hard, to take the emotion out of your business, right? When you're a business owner, you have to, right? When you're, when you're a business owner, you're thriving on emotion, it's your baby. The buck stops with you, the pressure's on you. So you become very emotional. But when you become really emotional, you don't always make great choices. And you do become anesthetized to the things that you're talking about. The smudge on the wall, you know, the, the stylus that's constantly coming in late and you, you just excuse it, oh, that's just Jane, that's how she is, right? So it's walking into your business and detaching in a way, coming in with those fresh eyes and going, I'm a client, but let me walk in as a client would. Let me not walk in with my coffee, my pocketbook, you know, having to answer the phone, having to do payroll. Let me just walk in. So sometimes a Sunday is great if you don't work on a Sunday, right? A day that's a down day. And really walk in and, and what what's happening in here? What does it look like? How does it feel? What's the atmosphere feel like? What needs to be done? And walk around with the checklist. And that's something I used to do all the time. Where is there a scuff on the wall? Where is a chair that needs to be kind of moved a little bit? Is that looking a little bit dated over there and not quite so fresh? You know, maybe if I moved that retail space over here, that would open it up a little bit more and just make it look a little fresher for clients that keep coming back as well. What can we do to change it out? And you, you do have to um, depersonalize it slightly to be able to do that. And feedback, you know, I, I'm big on feedback. Feedback from staff, feedback from clients get their opinion, see what's working or maybe not working for them. And again, look at it from their perspective with a totally different set of eyes. So it is fresh. Mm -hmm. I love that. And maybe if the feedback isn't forthcoming and in easy from your customers or your staff, because maybe they're afraid of some blowback, maybe find a friend who's honest, right? Sure. Maybe if you as the salon owner are not capable of depersonalizing, maybe find a friend, right? Absolutely. A friend can work. You know, you can, I believe in encouraging clients to get their feedback and if it's anonymous, that's fine. You don't, sometimes that encourages people to leave their feedback, right, when it's an anonymous feedback so you don't feel, clients don't feel uncomfortable that they're saying something that might offend you. I think that's totally fine as well. A friend is a great idea, a family member if it's someone you trust. If there's someone you know that just has great style, Right? And you just love the way they put things together or you love you know, their take on service or the places they like. Have them come in and give you a little overview and opinion. Right. And, and those things and don't, don't be sensitive to the feedback. Well, don't right? don't punish them. Don't be sensitive to the feedback, but also realize that those things, a lot of business owners will say to me, 
I can't afford to dot 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 because you know I'm just starting out or we're not doing as well and so I can't afford to do a lot of those things and I get that I've been there I know what that feels like but some of these things and the things that we're talking about that doesn't cost anything you can get a friend to come in and give you feedback but yes, you have to be open to that feedback. You've got to be able to take it and listen to the tr critique and decide that was valuable. You know, this part that you said to me was valuable. I don't agree with that. That wouldn't work in my business or that doesn't work with my ethos and that's okay. But I loved what you said that, so I'm going to try that, right? Yeah, awesome. And be open to it. Love it. Okay, what's number three? Um, so we've got customer service, definitely aesthetics and looking at fresh eyes, cleanliness is a big thing for me, um, customer service and education. This industry changes all the time. We're constantly changing, faster than we ever changed before. You know, now with social media, we change much quicker. Our cycles used to be much, much slower of how we were changing. They're not slow anymore. You know, a celebrity's changing a hair, putting it on Instagram, everyone's jumping on the bandwagon straight away, right? Clients are coming in with that. Clients are coming in with the demand for this new look. Totally, right? That, it didn't work that way before. We used to have those cycles where it was a six month cycle maybe, right? From, from fashion to fashion. Now we don't even have those anymore because they're pumping out, designers are pumping out so many different collections all the time. Frantic. We only had two. You can't even right? tell what's going on. You, you don't know anymore, which in a way makes there to be no particular trend anymore. However, there are looks and we're, we're looking on social media. Clients are seeing what a celebrity is doing or what another hairdresser is posting and going, oh, I want that. That's great. I want that. Can you do that? So you need to be educated. And education to me is taking classes. It's keeping your skills fresh. But it's also educating yourself of what is going on, right, in the world and in the peripheral of my industry and what I do and how I take care of my clients and how I service them. You're saying to know, outside of the salon business? Yeah, absolutely. <gasps> I know, such a surprise, right? <laughs> like get out, get out of the box, stop putting yourself in a box. It's not just, you need to look outside of what's going on. Other, other places that are getting, you know, doing great customer service, how can you incorporate that into your salon business? Other elements that whether it's design or fashion or makeup that have nothing to do with hair, right, or your skill, but that's still what all these people and your potential clients or your current clients are looking for. Yeah. So that's what education is for me. It's not quite so granular of just learning a new haircut or just learning a new color technique, um, but that's really important as well because now with social media, we're talking about those things, right, and we're talking about People are talking about, oh, I use this product, or I just tried this hair color, or I just tried this, or I'm using this lip gloss, whatever it is, and we're jumping on it straight away. And our clients are demanding that, and they want us to know about it. And one of the number one studies that we know from me working at Matrix is one of the number one things clients are looking for as an expert. Seems obvious, right? They're coming to a salon, they clearly want someone that knows what they're doing. But it goes beyond that because what an expert does in a world that is moving so fast and pumping out so much information to you, an expert helps to level it out and clear the clutter Focus. and go, I can help you because I'm an expert and I know what's best. 
for you. For you. I can Bespoke, take care of you. Special, customized. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what, that's what people are looking for now. They're looking for curated experiences that really are about them. And um, they want to feel that experience and feel that it, it is tailor-made, it is bespoke, it is theirs, and they want an expert to be able to do that. Sure. I think that's brilliant. Last weekend, I was in Vegas, and I was staying at the Four Seasons there, and I hadn't stayed there in years, but they're known for their customer service, they're known for doing things special. And when you were talking, it reminded me of something that happened there. When Donovan and I first landed, we went straight to the, to the closest restaurant because we hadn't eaten, and we, you know, I said my name was Eric Taylor, and they sat us and stuff, and then we had to leave because uh, 10 minutes later, because we had something else that was pressing. The next day, we went back, and the same hostess was there, and within five seconds of walking up to the hostess desk, she said, oh, hello, Mr. Taylor. Did everything work out okay that you had to run out? She remembered they must have had 500 guests at that restaurant. And she remembered my name in that uh, specific situation that happened. The following day, I was only there for three days. The following day, I was walking down the you know, lobby hallway and she was walking in the opposite direction. She remembered my name and asked if my weekend was going okay. It was amazing. A salon owner can incorporate that level of customer service and maybe that level of intention. It's, it's very, um, the thing that I have always found that has worked in my business very well and the thing that I encourage other business owners to do that I work with are those small details. You know, something that if you've watched my show and I've yelled at people for this, it does my head in, um, is when people use cute names. Hey, Dal, hey, gorgeous. Hi, love, honey, sweetie, right, right. cutie. I can't stand that. I find it incredibly disrespectful. And humans, as humans, and there is psychology behind this, and I like to do all these studies because I bring them back into our industry, so again, it's looking outside to bring it back, is we like to hear our name. It's very grounding for us, right? And it's a, psychologists do this, there are many studies. It's very grounding for humans. There's a connection when you're saying someone's name to them. So when you're using all these cute names, and it is very disingenuous and it feels like you don't really know who my name is, right, and it's just the deli line of churning through, um, it feels like there is a disconnection and it's not personal. When you use someone's name, it is respectful and you're connecting with them straight away. I know who you are and I'm saying who you are, right, and when you remember it and they come in, and there are so many ways that you know we can do that. Back in the good old days, because I'm a dinosaur, you know, I used to write down on my cards. I have, I'm very lucky, I have a great memory. I cannot remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I can remember a client's colour formula, the last conversation we had, all her children's names, everything that's happening with them, where she works. And as soon as I see her or him, it pops right back in and it comes back. And it's always been something that I've had. But again, you know, when you get busier and things happen, I would write down on cards, just key, likes coffee, black with two sugars. You know, likes, doesn't eat dairy, likes this. So that I could follow back up. Would you, you know, Jane, would you like 
your regular coffee, black and two sugars, right? They're those small things as the experience you just shared that makes such a difference. You feel connected to your clients and without having to spend money, right? Goes back to the thing that a lot of owners talk about. Without having to spend money or invest anything out of the ordinary, you have just created a remarkable customer service experience. Right. And it, the excuses are going away as technology builds up and provides us places to keep details about our clients. Indeed, on our but phones. we're getting lazier, right? So the more. Okay. I, I, well, I mean, I'll just say that for some sure. people. The, yeah. the technology now is so incredible that we have all these tools at our disposal that, yes, you can grab out your phone, you can keep, you can keep notes. We've got these great, you know. Um, software systems that a lot of us use in our businesses that we can track all of those things as well. So there are no excuses of having to, oh right. my God, I've got to sit down and write the notes and do all of this. It yep. can be so quick and instant, yet we're kind of getting lazier and we're shortcutting it and we're soundbiting it. Mm. We're losing, I believe, um, and the tide is going to turn. I just read a fascinating study um, that in 2020, the number one thing that everyone will look for is customer experience across industry platforms because that's what is starting to go down. We're automating, we're not having a lot of human connection anymore and that's what people are demanding. So we can't be lazy when it comes to using the technology we have to increase the great customer service. I totally agree. And so as fewer people are doing it, that provides an opportunity, more of an opportunity for those who are doing it, right? For yeah, those absolutely. who are educating themselves uh, on a, you know, as much as possible in this business. Okay, next, is the answer different for an independent beauty professional, independent hairstylist? What are the top three no. mistakes that they're doing? Why would it be different? I'm just asking. No, right, so you're a business owner. And I can't, you know, I, I teach this in my class as well. You, right, individual, me, Tabitha, I'm a brand. Not because I'm on TV, not because I've written books, none of that. I've always been a brand. And I, I realized that quite young into my career, that even though I worked in someone else's salon, anytime a client was coming in and asking for me by name and requesting an appointment with me and paying for my expertise, I was a brand. So that, for me, that brand, whether I'm working in someone else's business or working in my own business or doing my own thing as an independent, that brand carries everywhere. It's the way I carry myself, the way I dress, the way I speak, the way I communicate with my clients, it's the work that I do. It's all about it because I'm my own brand ambassador. Tell us about the, the class, how to be bold, resilient and better than ever. Um, it was really great. You know, I, a lot of the things that I've been doing um, is I do look outside of the industry and I, I have just been working on um, getting a couple of degrees in different things outside of the hairdressing industry to learn communication and uh, better coaching skills so that I can bring it back and work with the hairdressers that I speak to. And that was Creative Live was a company that approached me and I love empowering people and kind of cutting through the bullshit yeah. and talking about we all have shit that happens in life. We're human. 
Some of our stories are incredibly sad and full of adversity and some of them not so bad, but it's all relative to how we feel, right? And overcoming those things and how to keep moving forward um, in spite of right. what has happened and how to believe in yourself and know your own self-worth. I um, think it's so important. Where, where, do people, you. where do people find it? Um, it's on creativelive.com. Okay. And it was an all-day class that I actually taught it live to an audience, which was amazing. It was eight hours. Wow. So um, really, eight, I'm a lot for eight hours, as you can tell, <laughs> right? Could you imagine eight hours locked in a room with me? And it was really emotional and really great. And the class is online. You can, it's kind of broken down. So it's not eight hours online. There's a workbook you can work through and I hope you enjoy it. I'm a huge believer that people are not hardwired right out of the womb in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff out there, people talking about, you know, you are who you are and be who you are and know yourself and all this kind of stuff. And I think that evolution and adaptation doesn't get enough lip service. I mean, I'm case in point, uh, you're probably case in point of somebody who has grown and evolved over the years to get better and better and better. Of course. So give me an example, like one of your biggest adaptations throughout your life that really allowed you to find success that you probably didn't expect. I'm incredibly, which is really surprising, incredibly shy. Really, really shy. So when I was young, um, because I was shy, I would, I would be really the girl at the party that was stood in the corner, right? And people would always go, oh, she's so antisocial, she's so rude, she's such a bitch. It wasn't, I was just so incredibly shy and unsure of myself and uncomfortable that I didn't know how to kind of come out and approach and be part of that. Um, and hairdressing helped me with that because I could create my own, it was just my client and I and sometimes it wasn't about communication this way, it was about communication with these. And I could create with these she, and with this. For the podcast listeners, she's my hands, using sorry. her hands. <laughs> I'm using my fingers. She's I'm using sorry. her fingers. So, you know, I, I didn't have to communicate with words or with my voice. I could communicate with my hands and my eye of what I saw to transform for my client. And that was, that kind of helped to break out of that shell. But, you know, I, I'm also, I'm also an introvert. So there are struggles, especially with what I do now and being on TV. Um, talk about taking that shy kid, right, and that introvert and putting them in one of the most uncomfortable situations Absolutely. that they could be in. And, and that was a challenge and that was a push through for me and that was a point that I needed to keep working through. And how do you balance that? How do you recharge and allow yourself to be an introvert? and to be private when you need to, but put yourself out there and be okay with it. So we all have those things that you need to work through. Can an introvert become an extrovert? Sometimes, but I think as an introvert, something that I have found as an introvert, something that you need is just alone time. And it's, it's, a, it's a rebalancing, it's a recalibration, so to speak, right? So you just need to lock yourself away. For some people, it's maybe just an hour. 
of you know by yourself time for other people it could be longer and just to recharge and I think that's just how you center yourself yeah absolutely my situation is extremely similar I was just talking to my parents two nights ago and I mentioned that um, a few things that we had done and my mom said uh, you didn't speak until you were seven years old and I'm like oh come on you know you're exaggerating she's like hey, you spoke a little but if there were more than two people around you, you wouldn't speak. If there was one person there, you'd speak a lot. But that's how you've been your whole life. And I knew that I was introverted and that I, was, that I would have trouble speaking when there were more than a few people. Even in my office at Salon Republic, I would, you know. And it was, I made a concerted effort over the period of years. I read books on speaking how to add power to your voice physically, how to take in air and let the words come out strongly and getting out there. And, and I think people, if they make a concerted um, intentional effort, can do a lot of things that they didn't think that they could otherwise do. And those, those discomforts can slowly dissipate absolutely. into comfortable sort of scenarios. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think there's, um there's a lot that you have to work through and I think part of it for me, you know, being shy, I've always struggled with my weight. When I was young I was obese, so weight has always been, you know, kind of, I have to work at it. I'm not someone that naturally can eat whatever they want or do, I have to work at it and the older I get the more I have to work at it. And you have to know those things about yourself and acknowledge them, you know, you have to go I know this is a challenge for me, I know putting myself out there is a challenge for me, but I can do that and overcome that part and then quieten that little voice down, right? And quite, because we all have those voices, whether we want to talk about it or not, we do. You need to learn how to quieten that voice down and lean into that other voice that is going to help you get over whatever those barriers are that you're putting in front of yourself. Sure. Do you get a tremendous amount of uh, self-fulfillment and a sense of success and self, you know, um, let's call it confidence within yourself when you're able to achieve something like that? Um, I'm really hard on myself, really hard on myself. So I don't celebrate, um, I'm working on it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't celebrate my um, probably successes. achievements or successes very much. I'm, I'm very hard on myself and I look at it of, what can I do better? How can I do it differently next time? What's the next thing? You said you're to working do? on it. Is that necessarily something that needs to be worked on? Is it bad to to be hard on yourself? Uh, is as long as it's within a realm of reasonableness? No, I think I think to I think to be hard on yourself and to be um, to be a critique of yourself and to keep yourself in check and critique yourself is good. It's been a driving force for me because I always want to do better, be better, right? Um, evolve, change, grow. So I push myself to do those things and get over those finish lines. But sometimes it would be nice to, to take a minute and go, oh my God, I got over the finish line. That was really great. I can, you know, I can say, yay me, <laughs> right? <laughs> What is your greatest fear? I don't have many, to be honest. I don't, um, things that, you know, normal things that scare people. I'm not afraid of like spiders or snakes or crawlies, um, things that people get 
scared over. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time on fear. I don't want to sound trite when I say I don't have them, but I really don't. I'm, I'm one of those people. I've been in some scary, you know, scary situations that I really don't have control over health issues with people and things that I really are out of my control. Um, and I don't let fear stop me. I have to keep moving forward. So I don't like to give into it. I think it's one of those insidious feelings that if you start to give into it, um, it's like jealousy, right? And when you start to get jealous or when you compare yourself to other people, they're just these really hideous emotions that can take you down into the depths. And I don't do that. Amen, sister. Tell us about your current TV show, Relative Success with Tabitha. So, you know, it was fun. Bravo, I just really, they're great. I, I love them um, and they've been so amazing for me to work with. And it was to take on kind of the next journey, right? The 2.0 version. There are so many small businesses in America that are generational and family run businesses. And in many ways um, in America, that was really the backbone of the American culture was, you know, family businesses. And, and, and these are not beauty businesses necessarily. No, this they're is, not, just okay. family businesses and, you know, passing on from generation to generation, which of course poses the question, when you're working with your family, you already have the dynamic of being in business, which is stressful and all the things that come with that. But then you put, the added dimension of having family members in those situations as well, um, then it becomes personal. So yeah, it was exhausting. Um, doing the show or dealing exhausting. with the, the yeah, relationships? I mean, and yeah, exhausting dealing with relationships because there are so many layers to it. Each one had so many layers and it's so personal because it's family and there's no way to get away from it. So um, hard waters to navigate, but really, really fun. So um, normally we do kind of a segment that Jacob Kahn encouraged me to do, which is what, what we call hair horror stories. So when I interview a hairstylist, do you have any um, family business horror stories that you could tell us about? Oh my God. Um, yeah, I mean, Look, they were all pretty. They were all pretty sticky. One, one that was really just um, challenge. It was really challenging, actually, and it was emotional for me. It was a stepmother with two sons from the husband's first wife. Sons from her, right? So step siblings. Okay. And the father just dropped dead unexpectedly. No one expected it. He oh. just passed away. So it brought up all that childhood crap and murk, right? It brought up the jealousy, the sibling rivalry, um, the elder brothers that came from a different mother and the resentment they had towards the younger brothers with the new mother in the picture. And you don't love me the same way because I'm not your, it was that, your head is spinning, yes. right? And that's what it felt like. And it just, it was sad because the patriarch of the family just passed away so unexpectedly and that was sad. Um, and everyone was hurting and grieving through ah. that. And also just sad that then it brought up all that 
shit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a hair wait, horror wait. story would have been better. <laughs> Maybe it would have been that's a little true. lighter. A I'm hair not... horror story wouldn't have been so, ugh. Which episode was that? Do you remember what the... Yeah, it was Matthew's jewelry store. Okay. I'm going to check that out for sure. Any last words for the community? Look, I see hairdressers are rock stars. That's why I wanted to become a hairdresser. I had a, there was a really young, when I was a really young kid, I used to go to the salon with my mother every week and her hairdresser was, I just thought he was a rock star. I was this really fat kid, didn't fit in anywhere, got picked on at school and going to the salon, I, I would sit there and watch women come in one way and then I would see them walk out a different way. And it wasn't the hair, it wasn't the difference in how they looked, it was the difference in their personality. You would see, you know, a twinkle in the eye, a smile on the face, the shoulders go back a little bit more, a wiggle in their step. You would just see this empowerment and that they felt great. And I guess because I am an introvert, right, because I'm shy and I am an observer, I would really see this transformation of these women leaving the salon. And that was because of a hairdresser. That was really powerful for me. And because I was struggling to fit in, my mother's hairdresser, you know, this is a long time ago. So he was really out there. You know, he'd have green hair this week and red hair the next and blue hair the next. Not unusual now, but then, it was, it was unusual and he'd wear skirts and kilts and makeup and eyeliner and it was just fabulous. And to see how clients of all age groups um, accepted him and worked with him in this kind of environment that was created in the salon, I truly thought hairdressers were rock stars. And I still do. So my parting words would be, first of all, continually thank you. I bow down to all the people that listen and all the people in the industry that support me and have for so many years. Um, that means the world to me. And just keep being the rock star that you are. I love it. So where can people find you? Instagram, it's Tabitha Coffee, Facebook. Tabitha um, Coffee. Tabitha Coffee, Tabitha Coffee, Tabitha, Tabitha Coffee. Coffee. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for yeah, talking to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hope you got something great from what Tabitha had to say. Now here's my conversation with Selena Tomasich, founder of HairAid. Now listen to how great it is what she's doing. All right, well tell us who you are and what you're doing. All right, so my name's Selena Tomasich and I'm obviously Australian from the accent. And I'm from HairAid and HairAid is a charity. And what we do is we send volunteers. HairAid. HairAid, yes. yeah, like Band-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. We send volunteer hairdressers to the street and slum communities in Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, Manila. And we teach people that are living in critical poverty, people whose children are dying at their feet because they're too poor to feed them, how to cut hair. Wow. We take them from zero skill set to being able to cut just five basic cuts. So we're not teaching them to be hairdressers. We understand that a hairdresser has much skill developed over a long period of time. But in five days, we can teach people five different haircuts and then we gift them a scissor kit. Wow. In a little zip-up bag, a pair of scissors, a comb, four section clips and a cape. And we've basically given them a business in a bag with the skills and they work in their local community, on the street, cutting hair, earning money to be able to buy food and keep their kids alive. 
That's spectacular. Yeah. All right, so I heard two different things. So you send hairdressers to cut hair in the slums of these uh, Southeast Asian countries. Yes. Um, and, and these are, these are um, skilled, you know, accomplished hairdressers from Australia? Australia and all around the world. Okay. We've been going for 10 years now. Wow. Um, so we've had hairdressers that have come from the UK, Scotland, Canada, Sweden, Dubai, New Zealand, Australia, America. Right. We even so, had Tabitha Coffee join us. That's amazing. In August 2019. So if someone signs up, what can they expect? Right. Well, I mean, do they have to pay their way over there? Okay, so they fly themselves yep. to Manila, let's say. Yes, and they pay a project cost, which covers their accommodation, their team uniforms, project insurance, logistics, taxis, the logistics of running the project. And how much is that roughly? It's 1800 US dollars, covers it, for basically six days. Okay. Fly in on the Sunday before the project, work all the way Monday through Friday, and then head home to celebrate your successes with your family. Amazing. Um, and one of the things that we do is we throw a small amount onto the project cost, which is $250. And then if we have to buy any extra resources, we use that money that comes out of that as well. Okay. So when they hit the ground, yep. I'm sure they have an itinerary, they get picked up, they get whisked off to the hotel where they meet everybody. And then when they go hit the street, what, tell us what that looks like. I'm going to tell you a little bit backwards from there. Okay. You will get picked up from the airport and you'll be taken to this really cool 1.5 star accommodation house. <laughs> All right. You are not staying at the Novotel. I imagine. Um, and the reason is we don't, we don't use funds on anything that's not necessary. So we stay at this great place, particularly in Manila. We like to name it Melrose Place. Okay. Because it's built in the same format as the old TV show Melrose Place. Um, it's basic. It's like if you went to school camp years ago. You got a basic bed. It's clean. You got a comfortable bathroom with European toilets that sometimes flush, and you've got a small kitchenette. So it's pretty basic. And when we meet the team, the Sunday before the project, we all get together and we open our bags and all the resources that have been donated. Because you can imagine that we train 350 people in a two-week space. So we need 350 scissor kits. So people ask their resources or their networks from home if they've got any spare scissors, section clips, combs. Bags. We, absolutely. And old suitcases, because we actually donate the suitcases to the communities we work in so that they can use them for storage or anything else. So we all turn up on Sunday, we make a big mess, and then we put together all the kits. And we do some cultural training as well, what's appropriate to say, because most of the countries we work in are Catholic. So we need to recognise traditions and culturally acceptable behaviours, and even our own language, what we, what we can say. So we do a bit of cultural training, and then we go through the five-day programme. But I, I'm still on the, what are they doing in the slums? Like, I want yep. that. So we work, we go into the communities, and we work with people who are in critical poverty. Yes. Um, it's very real and it's very raw. You, we, there's no sugar coating of this. People's, people are, are malnutrition and are dying in these communities from lack of food. They live in the worst possible um, accommodation you can see, even if you can call it accommodation. 
But we teach people how to do five basic haircuts. Right. In five days. In five days. And is it one cut per day or are you teaching It basic? almost is that. Okay. Yeah. Day one, by 12 o'clock, we start at eight. Yeah. By 12 o'clock, they've all done their first straight cut. In the communities over there in Manila, this is a really interesting fact, it's illegal for boys to go to school if their hair touches their collar. Wow. So it's a ready-made market. Yeah. Which is great because the people we train have constant customers yeah. and constant money. But different to here, they only need basic cuts. Sure. They're not in for stylish cuts or the latest trends. So a straight cut, we teach them on day one. By the end of the day, they will have cut three or four straight cuts. And we've got plenty of live models from the people in the community. Okay, so how many, uh, I imagine before the, the hairdresser educators hit the ground, there's a, there's been a marketing effort to get people interested. Yes. And so how many total students will, will um, go through in a week? We've just completed two weeks in Manila. So we did two projects back to back and we trained 350 people. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. On average, anywhere between 150 and 200 a week. We work with the barangay management, which is community management over there. We work with local government. We work with um, the vice mayor's office. We work with Congress over there and they all help us. We've been going for so long now. They know the value of the work we do. They help us find the most appropriate communities. And then they send the message to the community we're coming. We're quite well known over there now. And through the help of social media, we've got a little Facebook group that lots of people are involved in. As soon as we tell them we're coming, they'll spread the word. So people sign up. We can have locations anywhere from 12 people signed up to 50 people signed up. Okay, so it's, there's a vast difference. We don't care if we train 12 or 42 or 87. What we do care about is the people that are coming are there because they want to learn a skill that they can utilize to create a business and help their family. Right. So then they get the skills and uh, they go out on the street with a chair right there and then they charge uh, 50 cents or something? Yeah, it's actually a dollar US. Yeah. Um, these people are so poor they don't have a seat. They seriously walk out with the kit we've given them and they will find whatever their customers need to sit on, an old log, pile of bricks, the street curb, and they'll sit there and they'll cut hair. Do they often walk around to find their customers or do they put out, out a little shingle, so to speak, like a little sign? Most of the accommodation and where they live is so poor, finding a piece of paper and a pen to write on is not a possibility. This is critical poverty where they live. These are street and slum communities. The people that live in the street would be lucky to have a plastic bottle that they could collect dirty water with. It is very, very, very critical poverty over there. Some people, yes, they will put a small sign out, but the majority just sit there and talk to people and encourage their clients to come along. We also help them before we leave because we stand out in these communities. Sure. We're a bunch of Europeans usually. We speak differently to them. Some of us have strange colored hair. Our skin color is different. Our language is different. So we'll walk through the community with them and say, have you seen our hairdressers? Have you seen our hair cutters? Come and get your hair cut. One of the other things that we do is when we do the training, we always make sure we're in a space that people can see us. So we work in local parks, on the street. We work in basketball courts. 
we'll, we'll work in like the side of a road and people for five days they walk past and they see us and they're like what are you doing and we're like we're teaching haircutting next week you can come along get your haircut and so we help find their clients for them as well spectacular so if somebody wants to sign up where do they go we've got a, we've got a web page I did it myself, so it's not that fab. Okay, I'm getting some help with that. Okay. But it's www.hairaid.org.au because we're Australian-based. Right. I'm on Instagram, HairAid Inc. Inc. So you can find us there. But basically, if you Google Hair Aid, we come up as the first on any sort of search engine. Wow. Reach out to me. Um, I answer all the emails for HairAid. I'm the, I am the person at the end of it, so I will send the information required. But we'd love to have volunteer hairdressers because I'm actually not a hairdresser. Yeah. So I can't do hair aid. Yeah. I know. <laughs> You're useless to the organization. I totally am. <laughs> without the hairdressers. Yes. Yeah, that's so, the same as me. Yeah, oh great. Uh, yeah, and what I do. I'm doing I'm a useless. research. I think I've decided to do a research on, because I'm a university lecturer. Okay. Okay, so. I want to do a research project on how many people are actually not hairdressers in the hair and beauty industry because there's a lot of us. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for letting us know. That's okay. Thanks for letting me share some time. All right, guys, I'm back. Next week, we'll be giving away a $200 GHD Gold Professional 1-inch Styler, also known as Flat Iron. I went to the website and this is the nicest one that they have. It's 200 bucks, it's extremely nice. I'm looking at it, it's sitting on my desk, and the packaging is Apple-esque. So this is definitely gonna be awesome for somebody. For a chance to win it, write a review on the Apple Podcast app or stitcher.com. Reviews are how you show the love back to us, guys. It's how I see what you're liking or not liking about the show. I read and deeply appreciate every single one, even the ones that aren't five stars, except for the one where somebody blamed us for the fact that her podcast player was on an accelerated speed. And I actually tried to find her on Instagram to let her know that she can change the speed setting on her podcast player, but she hasn't responded, so it may not have been the right person. If it wasn't the right person, then that person who got it was like, what? If you've already written a review on the Apple Podcast app, write one on Stitcher.com so you're doubly eligible to win. The review has to include your exact Instagram handle because that's how we will know who wrote it. Make sure you're following Salon Republic and Love Eric Taylor on Instagram, and that's it. All the names remain in a bag. I'll announce the winner at the beginning of next week's episode. You have to be listening to win, so you can DM me with your mailing address. We are not going to chase you down. For complete details, go to salonrepublic.com. Next week's episode will be my long-awaited part two with Don Godfrey. Don has the record for the most popular episode on The Hair Game, which was episode 47, by the way, if you haven't listened. In part two, we go even deeper into Instagram, so you're not going to want to miss it. Until then, have a great week.